Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakar banu mikol hamin, Venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah, Amen. Amen. All right, so today, well, this week here, we're in the we're in Parsha Tetzaveh, which is uh, You Shall Command. It's uh, Shemot seventeen. Uh, sorry, Shemot twenty-seven twenty to thirty ten, or Exodus, as in English. And we are on verses. We're on chapter one still, uh, verse fourteen and fifteen of Romans. Letter to those in Rome. So I will begin. And also, uh, this podcast um, will be dedicated to the. Rafula Shlema of um, of Esther Markovitz. Amen. Can you hear that so? Alright. I am Meshubad, morally under Shibud, Shibud, obligation both to cultural Greek speakers and non-Greek speaking barbarians, both the learned and the untutored. All right, so first out the gate, we see that Shaul has this obligation. So this Meshubad word is obviously a very Yiddish word. Um, shouts out to the Rambat and her daughter, Yovel. I was talking with them because they were saying, hey, we love that you're doing the Egeret cities and you know, you're using the Orthodox Jewish translation. And we're like, yeah, I know it's not technically like a Masink and everything, but it gives a nice Jewish flavor to the original intention of the letter. And, and the important thing is that we are seeking to really get down into, you know, actually what would be the Hebrew of this, you know, and, and looking at that, because obviously... Most commonly, it's taught that the letters and most of the writings of the canon of Matthew through Revelation is Greek, but that's actually not correct. It actually is Aramaic, and there's Peshitta text, and there's all sorts of stuff, Syrian, and all that. So, what we are doing here is we're just looking at some of what uh, the concordances have and things like that. So, pulling down this Meshubad word, and actually looking in my Ivrit translation over here, it's actually using the word, um, using the word Mehuyav. So Mehuyav is actually uh, based off of a Hebrew word. And where did I put it? <laughs> Add it over here. Uh, one moment. Here we go. Uh, Actually, I, I recently heard that we have a uh, someone at the shul here that's doing us a great service of starting to dive into the Aramaic and uh, help us out to learn what it's all about, what it is, and, and uh, the background and where it is, you know, how much it's used within the, the scriptures, both the Tanakh and even the Pradashah, as you just said. Yes. I'm looking forward to that for sure. So if you are an Anchor user, yes, if you're an Anchor user, you can actually look them up under Super Time. And uh, it is the Weavers. It's Tyler and Sarah Weaver, uh, a.k.a. Ish 
Ma'ale and Isha Ma'ale. They are Superman and Superwoman of the Avenger crew. And um, they are actually given a really, really awesome, amazing foundation, um, context, and everything on the Aramaic and the Hebrew. And how that translates throughout the Tanakh and throughout the canon of Matthew through Revelation. So if you can, please check that out. The History of Aramaic. Part one is already up, and I listened to it. It's 23 minutes of you want to throw stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> so, so thank you so much for doing that. So yes, and so uh, I'm very proud of them. So if y'all are listening, I just want to say I'm very proud of y'all, and I'm letting you know, I'm very proud of you. Okay. So anyway, fly fast and fly high, Brukashim. So the uh, the Mekhuyav word that I was looking for, it's actually over here in the Targum. And the root of that word is chayav. So it's a chet yod vet. And when you look at this word, it says one who is a debtor, who is bound and is guilty. And also it can be used for a term of wicked. Now, it's interesting to bring this up about the righteous distinguished gentleman known as Rabbi Shaul. Because guess what? He wasn't always so upstanding and a lapide. He was quite the opposite, actually. And so when you really look at what he's saying here, he's actually bringing in some history that he really wants to make tikkun for. Which I think is absolutely incredible, as well as it is a, a point of making himself very vulnerable and transparent, which if you are a person who walks in Torah, that is very, very important to be very transparent like that because who are we to think that we are all that in a bag of kosher chips? None of us are, you know? And so what he is really saying right here is he's actually got, he's got some tacoons to make. And it's not just to one type of people. It's not just to, uh, he says here, the, to the Greeks, uh, the barbarians. You know, and it's just kind of like people of up, like normal civilization and people who are also on the outskirts, because, again, we're looking at first century time period here. The temple is still in existence and, you know, Rome hasn't quite taken complete dominance yet. And so when you really look at what's going on, you still got Vikings, you still got all sorts of pirates and all sorts of craziness that is going on outside of are developed cities and metroplexes. So he's saying, I don't care who you are, civilized, sophisticated. I still got some debts that I need to pay. I killed a lot of people. I put a lot of people in prison and I falsely accused a lot of people. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm Mekhuyav, Meshubad, as the Yiddish word says. And uh, I got to fix that. So uh, that's the first thing out of the gate that I, I really love that you know, he brings up because my point to why I want to give that big of an introduction and establishment is because Parsha Tetzave does not mention the name of Moshe. And I love that Rabbi Griffin brought this out in the Aliyah day today as well. Well, I'm going to bring out another facet of it from the Baal HaTurim because it says Tetzave is the only Parsha in the Torah since Moshe's birth, in which Moshe's name does not appear, with the exception of the book of Devarim, which mostly consists 
of a first-person narrative spoken by Moshe. The reason for this is that when the people of Israel sinned with the golden calf, Moshe told Hashem, or Moshe said to Hashem, if you do not forgive them, erase me from the book that you have written. And that is in Shemot 3231. What you think about Parsha Tezave is happening in chapter 27, but we're talking about something that's happening in chapter 32. Well, that's because it's important to know that Parsha Tezave not only takes place before Parsha Kitisa, but it also takes place during Parsha Kitisa and also after Parsha Kitisa. As I um, so crazily said, because I did not realize the implications of what I said when I said it yesterday, because I was just so turned up by Psalms Tehillim uh, 2, uh, verse 7, which is talking about today I have begotten you. And when is it today with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, because there is no past or present or future with Hashem. He is, He was, and He is to come. So when you really look at Parsha Tedzave, when did it happen? You're going to find in commentaries that Tedzave and Teruma take place on like three different time frames, all at the same time. And that's the beauty of understanding that the Torah is not chronological. And so when you can separate out from that mindset, which, is, by the way, is a Greek mindset, wanting to have everything linear and everything mapped out in a certain line, Torah is not like that. So you will be very frustrated if you think like that. So I want to encourage you not to. Uh, so anyway, continuing on here, Moshe's name was basically erased from one of these Torah portions based off of him being willing to lay his life down and pay for the debt of Israel to Hashem. And so to continue and finish this point here, it says, this was realized in the parsha of Tedzave, since the censure of a righteous person, even if made conditional, on an unfulfilled stipulation always has some effect. So in other words, Moshe's name was not erased from the Torah when you really look at it overall, but to some extent, his name was erased by removing it from one of the Torah portions. And so they're saying that to some level, the prayer of a righteous person will be answered. So that was kind of the condition here. And so how does that tie back and relate to Shaul saying that he has a debt? Well, the same reason that Moshe decides to lay his life down is the same way that Shaul wants to lay his life down. He wants, he desires, actually, he says it later, actually. Um, let me go to that real quick. It's uh, chapter 11, I believe. Uh, no, nope, it's chapter 10. It literally says in um, chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have the zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they are ignorant of God's righteousness and going on about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And then, um, where does he say it here? He says it. I can, I can uh, bring it down here too. Uh, 
Sure, yes, please. Because I thought it was there. Because I know some translations say it interestingly, and some don't, so. Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's a lot uh, in this part. I love the, you know, it's mainly speaking about the, um, the, the investment, the investments of the high priest and exactly what, you know, they'll be wearing and whatnot. So we'll be getting that later. There's another Shem. But uh, to on your point, I love what you're, what you're bringing down. It's very true. The fact that that's interesting and it's so true that Moshe, his name is not is not known, and and he'd rather be accursed um, for the sake of his for the sake of Israel instead of uh, you know being blotted out, so to say. And so, actually, this is from Romans nine four, chapter nine, verse four. Nine four. Says, okay. Well, sorry, nine three in context. For I could wish that I myself were cursed that's and cut it. off from Mashiach for the sake of my brothers, my own flesh and blood. That's what I was looking for. So um, that is a very huge thing to think about. So when you really look at paying off a debt and laying down a life and all that, obviously that points ultimately to Mashiach Yeshua, who literally did that. Because he is the name of God manifest in the likeness of man, placed on a cursed tree and placed in the earth. You know, and where have we seen that? That's the Sota ritual. You know, like Hashem allows his name to be written on a parchment and erased. Which, by the way, you don't ever erase Hashem's name. But yet Hashem commands us to erase his name for the sake of a Sota. For the sake of a woman who is suspected of adultery, who's brought before the high priest. And then you tie that to Yochanan chapter 8, when this woman is brought before the high priest, Mashiach Yeshua. And he's like, you know what? No, I forgive you because ultimately I have taken upon myself your curse. I have been willing to erase the name of Hashem for your sake. And so this is not to be taken lightly what we're looking at here about what Shaul was talking about. So how much Torah really is that? How much observant is he when you really get down to what is he saying and what is he writing about? Because many times it's taught that Shaul teaches the opposite of Torah. And it's like, really? Do you see what he's talking about right now? So, end of my insight on that one. Amen. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was good. Um, how do I want to go about this here? Um, I guess I could hit on... Um, well, yeah, let me just hit on that. Continue with that, that thought here. Um, here it is. The the Christian approach, especially in relation to this Parsha, um, Pitzave, you know, usually, I guess to some they say, oh, this is very unique and cool reading about, you know, um, all the all that had to, had to take place in the Benamikdash and the invest the vestments and the sacrifices and and then and then they say, but you know, JC died for our sins, so we no longer have to um, do such rituals practices, you know, we're not going to need to do any of these, have these any, any of these items or observe any of these days and whatnot. Um, but, but in truth and on the contrary, uh, and that which is held from a, a believing Jewish perspective and approach is that these, these accounts of these vestments of the high priests, the peace offerings being sacrificed, the celebration of the, ho- the high holy days, the Yom Tovs and the like are not only history, but our hope of the future, um, as Shaul lays down in his letter, 
as we just would quote, as we just had quote, well, in, in chapter 9, verse 4, actually, right uh, yes. after the verse that we had read, mm-hmm. it says, the people of um, my own flesh and blood, the people of Israel, and he, and he brings down, um, he's, he's show, showing forth the, um, the glory of the covenants and, and what uh, what is promised, what is the, the blessings of the, of, the, of the gospel. Theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, and there is the giving of the Torah and the temple worship and the promises. And then going to five, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them proceeds the human descendant of Mashiach, who is God over all, forever worthy of praise. Amen. Amen. So this is not at all a, uh, when he's speaking, he's speaking very uh, proud, proudly. He's, he, he loves what he's, what he's reading. He, he delights in these things, and he believes that they were given to Israel and that they will be given to Israel, but only the remnant who are, who are, who are saved are justified, not on the basis of their merit of obedience to the Torah, on the basis of Mashiach and him crucified mm. uh, because of Yeshua's righteousness before Hashem. And, uh, and so the issue was not um, in the first century in the minds and the hearts of, of, the, of those who, who, you know, read the letters, or sorry, who wrote the letters, like Shaul and Kepha and Yochanan and, and Jude and the like. It wasn't a matter of what the gospel promises but the means by which one will inherit and receive the benefits of the covenants. Um, because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all um, gone on our own way to one have turned to, you know, to, to our own ways. And uh, Shem has laid upon us all the iniquity. I mean, we, we, we're all cast off, you know, Jew and Gentile. Both cannot boast before Shem. And he goes into that later on in a letter. Um, so it's it's not about the what, um, but it's about the how, and so that's that's what's brought down um, in the whole letter here. Um, but he's, that's why he's saying, um, you know, there's they obviously are seeking for righteousness, and righteousness from the Torah, um, but they but they miss the the righteousness from righteousness from God. So mm. very powerful, but you know, it's just like very very. This, you know, the story hasn't changed, the gospel hasn't changed. Simply was a question of how, not not what. Get so, the, so these blessings, all that we read about in the parsha of Tzave and these others, all about the temple, it will be restored as Ezekiel brings down the third temple, the restoration of all things. You know, the gospel entails the the restoration of the Ben Amikdash. Mashiach will rebuild it. Uh, we will be partner with him in that, and then even Ezekiel too. I think that's, I know and they say that we bring down that even converts, some will be brought out from the nations and become even priests to Hashem. Um, so this is really what Shaul's doing. He's preaching the gospel. He's eager to preach the gospel to Jew and Greek um, because he's wanting all, both Jew and Gentile, to receive the glories of the restored state of the of the house of Hashem, the Benamikdash and the and the reestablishment. Of, of the Kohanim, the high priest. This is, as we had, had seen in the Parsha here several times, it's an eternal decree for their generations. That's in verse 21. Um, several times here, let me see if there's... It's in verse 1. 
I know it's a very, oh, okay, you have uh, in verse 20, chapter 9, chapter 29, verse 9, priesthood should be an eternal duty for them. Wow. Uh, there is that. <laughs> then you have at the very end, uh, chapter 30, for generations shall be bring atonement upon it for your generations. So here. They speak about continual incense before Shem. Always um, cleanse the lamp should all be burning. So anyway, the, the concept is a Christian concept, not a Jewish concept, and it's a wrong concept to believe that that the uh, that the line of you know the Levitical, the Levitical priesthood is done away with. The only reason why it is 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 because well, there's many reasons, but um, Israel's sins, Israel's transgressions, you know, baseless hatred, and in order to bring converts in. To the to this glory to the glories that he mentioned about in, in verse four of chapter nine, you know that that again we there'll be the adoption of sons, which is in the resurrection, the divine glory that is the kind of presence, the covenants, the, all the promises of the covenants, the land, the giving of the Torah once again will be you know from Mount Zion to from you know to all the ends right. of the earth, the Torah will be preached and proclaimed, and the temple worship will once again be instituted. And the promises, so yeah, it's, there's a lot to it. But let me just <laughs> stop there. Sorry for no, don't apologize. I mean, that is that's necessary information. It's that's it's right. uh, it's awkward when you think about that. You know, if you think that there is no Torah, like we don't have to do that anymore. The covenants are old. That's why we have a new one, and the new one doesn't feature a temple. It doesn't feature Torah observance. It doesn't feature Kashrut. It's going to be really, really awkward when Yeshua returns and he's Orthodox Jew and like he's leading us into the temple precincts and we have to go through one of the 12 gates and there is no Christian gate. There is no non-Jewish gate. There's only 12 gates and they all have Hebrew names. So yeah, it's, it's going to be really awkward if we don't really understand we're in exile. This is not the way it is supposed to be. So may we all continually pray that we are brought out of exile. And not only that, but that proselytes are added to our family. We should be desiring that the divine sparks are gathered in and that more and more souls are being brought in underneath the wings of the Shekinah. There's a lot of room in Yerushalayim, so we need to fill it up. <laughs> All right, so let's bring it home with the final verse that we'll get to today, because you know we're doing this two-verse thing. <laughs> All right, uh, hence my eagerness to preach, this is a, uh, verse 15, hence my eagerness to preach the Besoros Hagula to you who are in Rome as well. All right, so I've been so ready for this verse. This is, uh, this is where I pretty much... Got a whole source load to lay down. So I'm just going to machine gun this. And then I'll hand everything over to you to close it out with right, however you want to comment and all that. Okay. Everybody ready? All right. Lock in. Here we go. All right. So the first thing is he says, I am eager. The word there is Nadav. Like Nadav and Avihu. So uh, the cool thing about that is those are the two sons of Aharon, 
and uh, they died because of their zealousness. And the crazy thing about the Jewish commentary on that is it's like, well, it was a good thing. And no, it was a bad thing. And it's like, well, if you want to be on either side, you're going to have a lot of back and forth. And it's going to be like a fencing match. And no one's going to be able to get completely like out because you got to go with both on this. You got to go with, yes, it was good and it was so bad all at the same time. Let me tell you why. Because Mashiach died for being zealous, but he also died for being a sinner. Yet he was not a sinner. He was reckoned as one and he was counted among those who transgressed the Torah. So... Nadav and Avihu are showing us that type and shadow to get us ready for Mashiach, who's going to fit both sides of the fence at the same time. And it's like, but no, don't call Mashiach a sinner. It's like, right, don't call him a sinner. But he was seen as one. He was reckoned as one. And so we can't allow ourselves to get too teeter-tottery, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, but just pay attention to what's going on here. Because when you look at Nadav, Nadav means to make willing, to prompt, to donate, to consecrate, to dedicate, to sacrifice and fulfill. And so Nadav and Avihu's death literally sanctified the Mishkan because up until that point, the temple service did not begin. And temple service began after their death. And not only that, but we got the greatest and most holiest day on the Hebrew calendar because of their death. And that is Yom Kippur, which is, by the way, the, the renewal of the giving of the Torah. When we received the second tablets, it was on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is also called the Day of Reconciliation, the Day of our Wedding. It's a wedding day um, and all sorts of amazing things that go with Yom Kippur. There's a whole tractate on Yom Kippur in the Talmud called Yoma. And Yoma is also the word for Yom, which is the word for day. So literally whenever you see Hayom or the day or day, it's always a reference to Yom Kippur. Which means that today, if you hear my voice, then today will be the day of Yeshua. Like that whole thing. It's like, yeah, it'll be like a renewal of the covenant. If today you hear his voice. So that's where that's not where I was intending to go. But I wanted to say that about this eagerness, because Shaul is saying it doesn't matter how great people are or how least people are seen that. I'm equal to both of them in repaying my debt. Mashiach allowed himself to be considered with those who are the least. And he says, even if you give a cup of water to a thirsty person, it's considered as if you've given me a drink, you know, to the least of these you've done to me, basically. And so Shaul here is saying, I'm like indiscriminate as, as much as you can put down because Everybody needs to have a renewal covenant with Hashem, and it doesn't matter who you are. So now I go to our Torah portion in verse uh, 42 of chapter 28, where it's talking about the clothes of the Kohen. Okay, so Tadzave, I've literally deemed this Torah portion clothed in righteousness 
because when you really look at the clothing of the high priest, they all make atonement for something. They all pay for something. Yet these are some very, very expensive clothes. So when you think that we're bought with a price and consider the cost of our discipleship, I mean, it's just like, yeah, how much was these garments that we uh, clothed the high priest in? It's just like, and they're all symbolic of some sin or transgression that we needed atonement for. So um, in chapter 13 of Romans, verse 14, to connect to this, which because Parsha Tadzave, Tadzave literally means to connect. So and connect is Tadzav. Okay. And then it says in 13, 14 of Romans, it says, clothe yourselves with Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach. Shaul didn't have an issue with Mashiach being divine. He literally calls him Adonai. But anyway, and it says, and do not think how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And then you look at um, Ephesians, the letter to Ephesus, chapter 4, 24, and put on your new self like clothes, basically, created to be like Hashem in true righteousness and holiness. These garments that we're wearing are righteousness and holiness, and this is Messiah Yeshua. And so Parsha Tadzave is like if there was the minimize and the plus sign on a little uh, option in a computer window, Parsha Tadzave is like clicking on the plus sign and like expanding the menu to see what does it mean to be clothed in Mashiach? What does it mean to be clothed in righteousness? What does it mean to be clothed in holiness? We'll go to Parsha Tadzave and just read about these garments. Because it says the cloak atone for slander. It's like, let an article of sound, i.e. the bells on the hem of the cloak, atone for an offensive sound. The crown worn on the forehead atone for brazenness. As it is written, you have a harlot's forehead. The breastplate atone for the neglect of civil laws, such as, or that's why it is said, you shall make a breastplate of judgment. And breastplate is the word Choshen, which has the same gematria as Mashiach. So the breastplate is Mashiach. Who is the one? Who is the judge? And who can atone for us in our neglect of civil laws? Then we have the sash. It atones for impure meditations of the heart. And then it says the turban made atonement for arrogance. Let an article placed high up. Come and atone. Oh, come on now. Let an article placed high up come down and atone for the offense of one who is arrogant. Seriously? Mashiach Yeshua coming down from the heavens into the lowly world of this earth and making atonement for us? Being so arrogant to say, Hashem, we don't need you. We're going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil just because you said we couldn't. And we're willing to listen to a serpent rather than listen to your voice, even though you're walking with us in the cool of the day. We're totally fine with making a golden calf, even though you just crowned us with two crowns with a whole bunch of angels and we have eternal life. But, you know, that's cool. We don't need that. We can do something better. Hashem, thank you for your little gift. We'll take this over here. And Hashem's like, really? But anyway, the breaches atone for lewdness, as it is said, let them make linen breeches to cover their flesh of their nakedness. So you got these clothes that is paying high prices and the clothes cost a whole lot. So consider the cost of our salvation and that we were bought with a price, basically. So now to close out my insight over here, I just want to share Mishle 6, 
23 and Michele 20 and 27 from Shomer Blue because they talk about the fact that this Torah portion opens up with the light of the menorah, which is the light of the Torah literally brought into a physical manifestation. Again, clothing yourself in Messiah Yeshua, what does that really look like? That looks like living a life of obedience, living a life of mitzvot, living a life of connecting to Hashem. Because as I said, tetzave means to connect, and mitzvah also has the same root as tetzave, which is zav, so mitzvah and tetzav, they both mean to make a connection. So when you're doing a commandment, you're making a connection. So... 623 and Mishle says this. It says, For the commandment is a lamp and the Torah is light. Commentary says, survey says, prayers, okay, not that one. Okay, homiletically, a lamp is the vessel that contains oil and wicks, but cannot produce light until they are kindled with a flame. On the other hand, a flame cannot last without fuel. The more oil and the better the wicks, the more brightly the flame will burn. The lamp of a Jew's soul is his performance of the mitzvot. Now, 2027 says, uh, A man's soul is the lamp of Hashem, which searches the chambers of one's innards. Now, this is where it kind of gets scary because, again, when you start walking in mitzvot, when you start, well, let me back up. When you first make your connection with Hashem, predicated off of His righteousness, which is only found in Messiah Yeshua, which means you have to make that connection to the one who connects, and then you start plugging in to Hashem. After you get the foundation, the household, as it were, that has the socket where you put your cord into the outlet to plug in. You can't plug into an outlet unless you have a house or something that is an edifice. And that's why it's important to have Mashiach first. That's why Parsha Teruma precedes Parsha Tetzave because you got to have some place to Tetzav to when, you, uh, when you're going to do that. You got to have a place to do that, which is the Mishkan, which is the Shekinah, which is Mashiach. The habitation of Hashem. So anyway, all that being said, what's going to happen when this light comes on, when this light starts to show into our inward being? Because it says, Hashem probes a man's soul as well as his mind and his heart. That's the Ibn Ezra and uh, Rabbi Sadia Gaon. And then it says, man's soul is illumined by Hashem, which enables him to make enlightening intellectual discoveries because he can grasp so much Hashem holds man accountable for his thoughts Rabbi Yona so realize that the light of Torah is going to come into us and it's going to shine and it's going to illuminate some things that are probably like woohoo I'm so glad I got to see that in myself and it's going to illuminate some things and be like I did not know that was there I thought I got rid of that I thought Man, I locked that up in the basement, and because you shine the light now, the basement gets opened, and that ugly monster comes out, and so you got to deal with it. But the cool thing about the Torah, the Torah is fire. 
and the love of Hashem is fire. So hit that monster with the, the torch and the double-edged sword and in our humility and in our striving and straining and pressing towards the high mark, we get to clean this house up and make it a worthy vessel to carry the light for Hashem so that we can shine out Messiah Yeshua to the entire world. End of it. Wow. That's good. Brooke Shimo. Um. Mm, wow. <laughs> yeah, you hit it on right, right there, right in the head. So, yeah, it's funny because I actually had my notes here. Some of the things I was uh, more hit on, like parallel with the Parsha, was one of those was Ephesians 4, 22, 24, like the garments, you know, the garments had to be put on that were, you know, clean and linen, you know, like white and now we put on Mashiach daily, you know, we say the morning blessings, you know, saying we're, we're taking off the old, putting on the new, and we you know, wash our face, wash our hands, all that. Um, it's putting on Mashiach, you know what I'm saying? That's right. So it's powerful. And that's the eagerness that Shaul is talking about here for being ready to preach the Basora. He's like, man, I, I want to shine some light right now. Like, I want to give everybody this opportunity. So that's that's amazing that that's what he writes about, you know? Yeah, I mean, you were, you were speaking about the, the lamb. Oh, you're, yeah, about the lambs. This is uh, in verse 20 of chapter 27. Now I should command the children of Israel that they shall take for, your, for, for you pure oil, olive oil pressed for illumination to kindle a lamp continually. And you're just speaking about, you know, Shaul, you know, preaching the gospel, you know, preaching Lapid, letting that fire burn, yes. um, you know, at all times, continually, as, as it had, and, and correlated with arranging it from evening to morning, uh, continual decree of the generations. So just the, the connection there, um, which I had seen in, in 2 Timothy 4.2, uh, Shaul commands Timothy to to preach the word oh. and be prepared in every both be prepared in season and out of season. So when we're in, when we're during, you know, Pesach season, um, unleavened bread, or we're in the fall festivals and things are gearing up towards Yom Kippur and other other seasons where we get pretty busy, that nonetheless we still need to be preaching the gospel, still making converts, you know, still being prepared, still being sober minded, not re and realizing that you know, Hashem is. You know, watching us and hearing us and knowing our hearts and motives and actions. And uh, this isn't just some cultural, you know, thing we do on the side as a hobby. <laughs> wow. You know, we're, we're living out this life to, to, to please Hashem, to be, a, you know, to minister to Him. That's it's right. A, be a pleasant, sweet aroma up to His to His throne. So, Morning and or afternoon and morning, when we retire and when we arise. That is beautiful. Amen. Well, told our rebuff for that. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. What do we know? What do we know, right? That's right. What do we know? Well, break Hashem. That close out for the Bronco, okay? All right. Bring it on. All right. Baruch Adonai. Baruch Adonai. Amen. Well, shalom and shavuot tov. Shalom and shavuot tov.